Thank you very much, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us on our radio broadcast this morning. Uh, we thank you for all of your attention and listening in uh, to our messages and songs. I wish that uh, even more could be joining us at the corner of Monroe and Fudge Streets for our in-house service and Last Sunday uh, was enthusiastic and well-attended, and I'm hoping and praying that more and more of our folk, after getting the vaccine for the COVID virus, um, will feel comfortable and safe enough that soon we can, most of us, can be back in our uh, regular fellowship and worship time together. We've missed that. It's been a year or more now since things started shutting down, and and uh, there's just been so many hurdles to cross and so many sick people and so many grieving people through this process, but the Lord is still with us, and he's going to continue to bless us. In the meantime, I thank you for your faithfulness in listening to our broadcast, whether you're a member of First Christian Church or whether you're just a, a participant in the in the listening process. Uh, we want to continue with our theme from the ashes. Uh, you know there are those times in life when we feel like we've been wasted and that we're really of no value to ourselves or anybody else. But even in those times, God is still there and He still has plans for us. And he is able to do far beyond what we ask or imagine. That's scripture. And that gives us hope. So between now and Resurrection Sunday, uh, we continue to scrutinize the life and the ministry of Jesus our Savior out of the scriptures. We're, we're looking at some of the aspects of Jesus' life that shaped him to be our living Lord. If you remember two weeks ago, we started out with his temptation. How he was able to defeat the devil in the wilderness uh, by quoting scripture and staying true to his resolve. There is victory over Satan and uh, we can accomplish those same victories. And I'm thankful for his example, aren't you? Last Sunday, we saw how important humility was. To Jesus and in his life. You see, God's intention was that he would become human, taking the form of a humble servant. And humility became foundational, not just for his life and ministry and death, but for all of his followers, he gave us the example for humility. And so often we think that in order to get ahead in life, we must become forceful and dominant and sometimes even controversial. But what the Lord really wants to see in us more than any other thing is a humble spirit, just like Jesus. <clears throat> now today, I want us to consider the need for contemplative prayer as a priority for productive and a satisfying Christian living. And once again, we will discover this truth, this need, by seeing its importance in the life of Christ. I hope that a, a review of some of the scriptures about the prayer life of Jesus will encourage us 
to investigate our own prayer routines or the lack thereof. I'm convinced that if there is going to be a time for us to draw closer to the Lord, it will be in a season when we're seeing the Lord Jesus Christ as he lived down here on earth and related to his heavenly Father and to the people around him, both good and bad people. But Jesus prayed. Jesus was a man of prayer. And he has laid down the foundation and the groundwork for us to have good, mature, complete, productive prayer lives. So what we're going to do today is to just go back into the Gospels and just view some of the main aspects of Jesus' prayer life, especially the times of solitude, contemplative, um, meditative prayer, which enriched Jesus' life and can enrich our own. First, I'm going to take you to Mark chapter 1, and hopefully you'll get your Bibles out and, and New Testaments and follow along with us on this. In Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 38, Jesus is early in his earthly ministry here. And the Bible says in verse 35 that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the neighboring villages so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. So this is an interesting story where we see Jesus early in his ministry involving himself in meditative, contemplative prayer. The Bible says he got up early. I think of Charles Stanley who once said, Talking to our Heavenly Father first thing in the morning is not a matter of convenience, but a matter of necessity. We really do need to have prayer first thing when we get up in the morning. Now, you may not be a morning person. I've always thought that I wasn't much of a morning person. But when we wake, when we're motivated, even whether it's by a, a, an alarm or a phone call or whatever it is, we need to realize the need to go to God in prayer. And the Bible says here in Mark 1 that Jesus went to a secluded place, a solitary place. And uh, Jesus often had a struggle finding a place of solitary, a place of seclusion. Uh, we often have the same problems, don't we? With schedules and family and people, I remember hearing a mother say that the only time she could ever find solitude at home is when she goes to the bathroom and locks the door. Well, that's true many times. But Jesus knew he had to get out. He had to get to a lonely place where he could be one-on-one -on -one with his heavenly Father. In Mark chapter 6, verses 31 and 32 Jesus once again expresses the need for this kind of prayer, this kind of relationship with God. In Mark chapter 6, 31 and 32, the Bible says, Then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, 
Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. It's true that they were busy and their ministry was vital and people flocked to hear Jesus and to see him, asking him for miracles and healing. And the Bible says they were so busy, they didn't even have a chance to eat. But he knew that they needed to have a chance to pray and to find solitude and to rest. And so he directed them to get into a boat where they could go to a solitary place. But that story doesn't end here. In verses 33 and 34, the Bible says, But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Can you put yourself in the shoes of Jesus and the disciples? So busy, uh, so busy that they couldn't rest and they couldn't even eat properly. So they think they're getting away in the boat and that they can find themselves a lonely spot to refresh. And the people see them leaving and they beat Jesus and the disciples to the place where they had hoped to go. They, they ran around uh, the Sea of Galilee on dry land and beat them there. Hopefully they had a little rest in the boat while they were on their way. But you know, we need to pray for the compassion that Jesus had for people. I think to myself, how would I have reacted if I needed rest and, and a resort so badly, but when I got there, there were people there waiting on me? Would I be upset? Would I take off and try to find a different spot? Jesus didn't. He saw them as, as people who needed him. In another place, he, he identifies these people as harassed and helpless and without a shepherd. Um, so Jesus goes to them. He not only teaches and heals, but you remember he feeds them. 5,000 men plus the women and children. It, it was a great miracle, one of the greatest miracles recorded in all four Gospels. In the Matthew 14 account of this miracle, the Bible then says that Jesus dismissed the crowd after they had eaten and, and after he had finished his teaching. And after he dismissed the crowd, he placed his disciples into a boat and dismissed them. In other words, he sent them off. Mark chapter 6, verses 46 through 48. Take a look at these words. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake, and he was about to pass by them. Now, this is a great, great picture of Jesus needing to get away he goes up on the side of the mountain, and the purpose for doing that was to pray. 
Now, the Bible doesn't even say that he had eaten yet. And yet, he knew what was first. He knew what was priority. He was contemplating. Um, and the Bible says he looked out across the Sea of Galilee, and there he saw his disciples in a wind-tossed uh, sea, lake, and they were straining at the oars. This is a beautiful picture of intercessory prayer. Here Jesus is praying, and he looks out over the sea, and, and there he sees these followers of his, and uh, things are going tough for them. They're not, they're not gaining any ground. They're straining at the oars. The water's lapping up on the side of the boat. And uh, in the middle of the night, the Bible says, he goes out and walks on the water. Uh, he was about to pass by them when the disciples saw him. They were terrified, thinking he was a ghost. And he has to calm them. He has to say, no, it's okay, it's me. And when they realized it was Jesus, of course, you remember Peter asked Jesus if he could come out to him on the water, and Jesus says, come, and Peter does, and Peter sinks, and Jesus reaches out and saves him, grabs him, and they get back into the boat, and the storm dies down. It, it, it's a beautiful story, but I love this idea of the intercessory prayer on the part of Jesus. Uh, we need to, to make this very much a part of what Jesus does, and then we need to take the example of praying for others as well. I'll take you to Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Uh, this is when Peter pledges his loyalty to Jesus no matter what, and Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him three times. And Peter says, oh, no, that won't happen. And in verses 31 and 32, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew what Peter was going to do. Even though he was pledging his loyalty to Jesus, Jesus knew what was going to happen. Um, you know, Satan has asked to sift you and me like wheat, dear friends. But we have an intercessor. We have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He not only prayed for Simon, he was praying for all of his disciples, and he was, he's praying for you and me. Sometimes I ask myself how Peter lived with himself when he denied Jesus, and Jesus looked at him after that. The Bible says he wept bitterly. But I, I know, I think I know how Peter was able to live with himself because he remembered that Jesus had prayed for him and was praying for him. And he promised that once he turned back, once he repented and got back to, into his faithfulness to Jesus, he, he had a job to do, and that was to strengthen his brothers. And that's what he did. The intercessory praying Jesus. Uh, in John chapter 17, 
we have what we call the prayer of unity, where Jesus prayed that entire chapter. He prayed for himself. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for all who would later become his disciples. That's you and me he was praying for. He, he is our advocate. He is at the right hand of the Father. He, he takes our needs before the throne. Um, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 44, we see uh, another aspect of Jesus' prayer life, which we need to model. And that's why, that's why while Jesus was in Gethsemane, uh, this was after the Last Supper, you remember, they sang a hymn and they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says, as their custom always was. This was, this was one of those solitary places that Jesus went often to pray when he was in Jerusalem. And while his disciples slept, you remember, he prayed in anguish. The Bible says in verse 44, being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Of course, he had prayed, Lord, if, it, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And I want to share with you what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. There, in that scripture, the Bible says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. That's an interesting verse, dear friends. And we often ask, is he talking about the prayer in Gethsemane there? You know, we would be naive to think that uh, that this night just prior to his betrayal was the only time Jesus grappled with the severity of what his crucifixion, this step of sacrificial atonement would be. No, Jesus knew all along what he was going to have to go through. It, it didn't just stir his inner spirit that night before he was arrested. I think we can assume that he grappled with that throughout his ministry. And over and over again, he prayed. Prayed for the Father's will. Prayed for the strength that he would need to endure the cross. Uh, for the suffering, the beating, the mocking, the jeering on the part of his enemies. You know, many times uh, we look down the road and we see some things that we're probably going to need to face. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't just pray about it one time. We need to keep on praying. That which stirs the very depths of our souls is something that we need to share with God over and over again. And the Bible says he was heard over and over again because of his reverent submission. We don't know how the Lord brought consolation to him. We do know that on that night at Gethsemane, the Bible says an angel came and ministered to him. But that's not the only time that Jesus wrestled with it, and I'm sure it's not the only time that the Lord heard him because of his reverent submission. 
Now let me wrap this up for us this morning. Um, in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, the Bible says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Oh, dear friend, the throne of grace is where we need to go. And when you think about it, the throne of grace is our secluded spot. Oh, yes, you may have a, a special room. Maybe you have a special place outside where you escape many times to find your solitary place where you can meditate and pray. But in reality, no matter how busy we are, no matter how consumed we are with life, schedules, family, children, our secluded spot is the throne of grace. We need to pray. We need to find solitary there. So let me ask you this morning, in, in all of your striving and all of your hustle and bustle, in all of your appointments and activities and actions in life, are they making you a more peaceful person? Is, is the grind of life giving you the kind of a grounded faith that you've always longed for? Or maybe you're today, you're sitting in an ash heap of unmet expectations or broken resolutions or broken relationships um, maybe in message notifications that you never have time to answer? Are you striving and struggling with all of these things in life that are keeping you from the real solution for peace? As you think about these questions, I want to read to you a powerful and important passage in the New Testament that I cling to a lot, and that's Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, it takes intentional effort in our culture to carve out sacred time and space to personally connect with the Lord in prayer. But oh, when we hear the words of Christ here in Matthew chapter 11, we realize that there is a space for our burdens, for our exhaustion, for the chaos that often we find in life. What an amazing feeling. And what a Savior we have. I want to live like him. I want to pray like him, don't you? If you're not a Christian this morning, this Savior loves you, dear friend. And one of the steps to claiming Jesus as Savior and Lord and finding forgiveness in Him is to pray.
We need to pray for forgiveness. We need, uh, we need to confess the fact that we are sinners. We need to confess the fact that we're not who we should be, but we can be who we ought to be with the Lord's help. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for these moments that we have to consider the prayer life of Jesus. I pray for those that are battling their spirituality and especially for those that are not Christians and need to take him as Savior and Lord, but I also pray, Heavenly Father, for those who are already professed Christians but maybe aren't living for Jesus and they're certainly not spending the time that they need to in prayer with him. Bless them that over these next few weeks, their prayer life, along with a whole lot of other things in their lives, will change and become better and truer to Christ. Thankful for that Savior, and we pray in his name. Amen.